It doesn't matter how good your website is if no one visits it. So what can you do to your author website to make it the kind of site that readers not only want to visit, but they want to tell their friends about and return to themselves? Well, that is what we're going to talk about in this episode of Novel Marketing, the longest running book marketing podcast in the world. This is the show for writers who want to build their platform, sell more books, and change the world with writing worth talking about. I'm your host, the Vulcan of book marketing, Thomas Umstadt Jr., and today we are joined by the creator of FightRight.net. This is a website dedicated to helping authors write better fight scenes, and it's a companion to the book, Fight Right. And this website went from 2,000 visits a month to 7,000 visits a month, and we are going to find out why. Carla Hoke, welcome to the Novel Marketing Podcast. Thank you so much. Longest running what is it? The longest running? What kind of podcast? Longest running book marketing podcast. I, it does not surprise me. It does not surprise me. Nothing you say or do anymore surprises me, period. When we first started this podcast, the uh, advice was you don't need a website because all you need is a Google Plus page, which is free. Correct. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, we were fighting that bad advice back then, and we're still pushing author websites today. So tell us a little bit about your website before. What was it like back in the day? (laughs) Well, let's just say that you looked at it and you sighed a little bit. And you said, Carla, you need to get off a blog spot. And that's what it was. It started out as a free blog uh, spot site because I I had no idea if anybody was going to read it. Um, you know, I put out a couple posts and I got, you know, a hundred and I thought, oh my gosh, a hundred people have read this. I am famous. I am fa- I can do no better. There's nothing better. And, uh, you know, after a couple years, I had an interview with you. Was the interview with you wasn't last year or was it the year before? Yeah, it, it, I think it was either early 2020 or 2019, somewhere around there. Right, right. And uh, you said, you know what, Carla, because you were kind enough to indulge me after the interview. I said, hey, can I ask you questions? And you said yes. And I will say that I have yet to ask a professional, hey, can I ask you some questions and then say no, not even once. So writers, if you are at a conference and you see somebody that you are pretty sure is above your pay grade, i.e. Thomas Umstead, ask him. Worst thing he can say is no, but he's not going to say no. Anyway, you indulged me for a good 30, 45 minutes, and you said, you know what, let's start by getting you off Blogspot. And I I told you why. I said I didn't want to invest money. I didn't know if it was going to work. He goes, well, it works. It works. So let's go from there. So that was the first step is just getting my own, you know, address, my own site. Because you owned fightright.net, but it was just redirecting people to like fightright.blogspot.com or something like that. And, and so what you did was you shifted over to start using WordPress, and WordPress is now running on fightright.net, which makes people more likely to remember the domain, right? When they just see the domain for a split second and then it turns into something else, if they were to share your blog post, they're not sharing a fightright.net blog post, they're sharing a blogspot blog post. Whereas now they're sharing a fightright.net URL, which makes them more likely to remember it. Right. Yes, thank you. Correct. All of that. So what were some of the other things uh, that you changed? So you switched from Blogspot to WordPress. What did you change with the look of the website? Yes. And I just want listeners to know, he and I, uh, Thomas and I have not talked about this ahead of time. This is all true. I am not being reimbursed or compensated anyway. So help me. And I didn't do any of the work. I just talked to her for 30 minutes and gave her some homework. No, he did zero. 
he talked and he gave me homework and I wrote the entire time. And one of the bits of homework I had is I watched one of his online classes, I think through Christian Writers Institute, I believe it was. And I took copious notes there too. And I just started following your advice. I mean, it's the truth. And he didn't know this when he scheduled this, but but he did. Uh, he said, hey, why don't you get your own site? Why don't you, you know, do a little, put a little tinsel on the tree? And I went to Stormhill Media. They are a website design group that deals with writers. So they know the needs of writers. They have different plugins that are especially useful for writers. And they said, you know, what are you looking for? And I picked up my iPad and all my notes and I said, I want three call out buttons. And this is what I want them to be. And this is what I want in the menu. And this, and I, I had an outline of exactly what I wanted them to do. And it absolutely was 100% based on the advice you gave me. So I got an overhaul and my site became not just a place for people to read about writing fight scenes. It kind of became my, my desk, you know, so to speak. Um, you want to know about my book, boom. You want to take a class with Writer's Digest, boom. Here you go. Here's my blog. If you want all the other ancillary, you know, information to do with fight rights. So it was, it's kind of, it became a one-stop shop versus just an information platform. Yeah, the strategy is to have it be the center of the wheel. It's the all the spokes connect to your website. So you have courses, you have blogs, you have podcasts, you, you do interviews, you hand out business cards. Everything sends people back to the website. And some of you, especially indie authors, like, why not send them to your Amazon page? Or, you know, why not send them to your Facebook page or your Google Plus page or your MySpace page? And it's like, because you don't control those things. <laughs> as long as you're sending people to some land that you don't own, they then control what people experience when they see you. And it doesn't have to be malicious, right? You could be linked to your page on Amazon and they make some change and the URL is broken. And now all those business cards that you printed are going to a 404 error or somebody <laughs> hijacks your Amazon page, which happens. We did a whole episode about how people can hijack an author's Amazon page and there's nothing you can do about it, right? Those business cards that you handed out are now promoting some competitor or some scam artist's product and you're begging Amazon, please fix it. And, and you're coming as a humble supplicant. Whereas if you're sending people to your own website, you're in control. And, you know, let's say some terrible thing happens. You get kicked off of Facebook. You kick kicked off of Amazon. Well, now you can have a page explaining why, giving your side of the story and giving a link to buy your book some other place. Absolutely. And you know what? I noticed this after the pandemic that not everybody is a fan of shopping at Amazon. Some people want to shop different places. Not everybody uses a Kindle. You know, some people use different e-readers. And so it's great to be able to, I noticed this with my podcast because people say, well, where can I find your podcast? And I'm like, there's a bunch of places. And so I just you know, say, hey, here's the link for my page. And it gives them five different options plus more. So no matter what your reader uses, if you just send them to your page, they have options. And I think people like having options. One thing that you're doing that I think is a really good practice, and if you go to fightright.net, you'll see this, is that right at the top of the website is a big button that says buy the book, <laughs> read the blog, yes. and get in touch. You very obviously had specific goals coming into the website. 
you're not asking people to decipher your website and hoping they'll find their way to your book. And this is something that every author can copy, even if you're not published yet. So maybe you don't have a buy the book button because you don't have a book out to sell yet, but you have something that you want people to do, right? Maybe it's sign up for the newsletter. Maybe it's get a free novella. There's a lot of options, but you need to have some clear call to action, some outcome that you want the website to accomplish. Right, front and center. And you want to make it as few clicks as possible, more than two clicks, and you're probably going to lose somebody. So that's why, like on my podcast page, okay, it sends them to the podcast, and one more click, all they have to do is decide which platform they want to hear off, you know, listen to. But don't don't ask your visitors to click, 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 because they just won't. They just won't do it. And you don't either. When you're on somebody else's website, you don't spend 20 minutes trying to decipher it. You're very much in a hurry or you're trying to squint through a very small phone. And the you want to be kind to your readers, right? Treat your readers as you want other webmasters to treat you, right? Make things very easy. Make things very clear because there is a certain kind of person who's coming to your website just to buy the book. And they, all they want is a link list of links to the different places that the book is available. They want to know what versions of the book exist, and they want to be able to find that really quickly. And you want to make that kind of visitor very happy because they're the visitor who's going to f- buy your book the fastest. Right. And I'm, I'm so glad you, you mentioned looking at something on a mobile phone. Always look at the mobile version of whatever your page is. When you look at it on your computer screen, you're going to get you know, one view. And then you may look at your phone and you may see that the blog post you just did is all wonky when it comes across on the phone and you need to change some of the movement. You also need to look at the SEO. And I'm going to let you explain that. So SEO is actually one area on your website that can use a little bit of work. It's your one uh, (laughs) low-hanging fruit. I know. That's why I'm telling you. It is. And we actually just recorded a couple months ago an episode uh, titled Search Engine Optimization for Author Websites, where we walk you through. At some point, I'm going to do a paid course on search engine optimization, but this episode is basically a free version, like a proto version of that course. (laughs) And uh, the two areas that are the lowest hanging fruit for you, and this is the lowest hanging fruit for most author websites, are the SEO title, which is also known as the meta title, and the SEO description. So when somebody does a search on Google or Bing, the title is the big blue, bold blue text at the top of the results, and the description is the little paragraph underneath it. And the words that you put in your title are the words that appear on a Google search results page, but it's also one of the only places you can put keywords to rank that Google actually really pays attention to. And if you go to fightright.net, it's currently homepage hyphen fightright. Oh, no. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay. And so what it needs to be is fightright.net. Probably since fightright.net's like your brand name is that URL. You probably have that whole thing. You're kind of like a 1-800-Flowers. So I'd actually include it potentially. Maybe have fightright as two different words. It's your call. But you need to have the phrase fight scenes in your SEO title. because That's the most important keyword for you. And really writing better fight scenes. You know, so fightright.net hyphen write better fight scenes. Something like that. There you go. Right. I actually learned about SEO mainly from uh, I post to Writer's Digest blog and they were like, well, let's do this for the SEO. And I'm like, oh, oh, okay. And I'm just going along. I got to know what they're talking about. But that (laughs) is something I'm still and that is something else, too. Don't feel like you have to know everything before you get started. Get started. Don't you know, Okay, that's my next thing. My low hanging fruit is my SEO. So, you know, just go from there. Don't get over. I am the type of person that I get 
overwhelmed if I have too much going on around me. So just take it bit by bit. Okay, I've got the website set up. Okay, I've got these links. Okay, so now my next thing is my SEO. And that is exactly the mindset of having a good website <laughs> because okay. you're never going to have a perfect website. It's something that you're constantly improving. It, having a website is kind of like learning to play guitar, right? There, mm. it, when you're first getting started, you have these big learning spikes of difficulties, right? Can you play the chord F, right? It's a big separator between people who are just beginning and, and people who are not. But even after you've been playing for five years, you can still get better. Even after you've been playing for 20 years, you can still get better. And, you know, you've been playing your whole lifetime, you'll go to a concert and see somebody who's still better than you. <laughs> and you don't, like, be like, I'm giving up on playing guitar. I found somebody who's better than me. It's like, no, I'm inspired to try a little bit harder. And that mindset is very different from writing a book. Because when you write a book, it's got to be as close to perfect as it can, and then you release it to the world. And that shift of your website is not like a book is hard for a lot of authors. They, they keep it, you know, behind a password, right? They have it hidden until it's perfect. It's like, it's never going to be perfect. Just get it out there and they never stop improving it. Right. Right. And that's why, I mean, I just kind of put the blog spot out there at first. I thought I had no, I have no idea how this is going to go. And I did, I did learn, you know, through time and looking at my Google analytics. I just want to say that and pause because I'm proud of myself for even knowing what that is. People, I don't think you understand how tech Amish I am. And the fact that I have been able to come this far is basically nothing short of miraculous healing. Okay, so I started looking at my Google Analytics. And you know, you can kind of see which which posts or which areas are doing better. If you have one area of your website, um, you know, that's just killing it. We'll, we'll go in and see what is it about that and look at the bounce rate, um, how long people stay on there um, and make use of that and look and say, okay, well, I'm noticing on such and such day, things are good. Now, I will say that COVID really changed all the analytics. It did because, I mean, people were home where they weren't normally home. And so now that people are not at home as much and they're going back to work, I think I've seen a shift in what days are more popular and what times are more popular. Yeah, COVID and the lockdowns changed a lot of behavior because a lot of websites, their primary traffic are people not working, but in front of a computer at work. <laughs> uh, that's why Cyber Monday is such a big deal because it's people on their work computers with their work internet making purchases on Amazon rather than Friday, which they typically have off Black Friday. They actually make fewer online purchases because they're not in front of their work computer. And there's some people who don't really have a good computer at home. They have a laptop that they like use on the couch, whereas at the office, they have a big computer that's on a desk. Or maybe they don't have a computer at all at home. They're, they're just on their phone, and it's not as good of an experience. How does WordPress compare to Blogspot as you're writing new blog posts? What's, oh what's that experience? Was it a painful transition? Did you, did you even notice that it was different? Well, you know, anytime you're new at anything, you're not going to enjoy it as much. That's just how it is. You don't enjoy something as much till you get a little bit of proficiency. But I can say that the learning curve, again, people, I am not a tech person. Um, it wasn't hard. It, WordPress is extremely user friendly. And even if don't feel like, OK, I have to, you know, get a website design place to do my work. Some, you know, in my case, it was the it was the best thing for me to do because my brand was getting much bigger. And I just don't have the capacity to know. I didn't even know what I needed to know. So um, you can do it yourself. And there are a ton of videos on YouTube that will talk you through. First, you do this. First, you do that. It'll even tell you, you know, what look 
is best. So I have found it to be very user-friendly. Stormhill Media, part of them helping you, you know, them designing your pages, they, they give you tutorials so that you can do basic upkeep. You know, if you want them to do all of that, they're happy to do it. But, you know, I liked the freedom of being able to say, okay, I want to change a little bit of this. I want to change a little bit of that. But WordPress, I have found, has been very user-friendly. Again, if I can use WordPress, you can use WordPress, I assure you. And I will say that course that you went through on author websites, I've actually upgraded it since then. The author media version has those step-by-step guides by me on how to build your own WordPress website from scratch. I don't have the one technical thing you had that I would still, if if this is you listening, um, if you're moving from Blogspot to WordPress, uh, you might need a little bit of help outside of my course because I don't go into it on how to move the posts over and how to make sure that all the links redirect correctly. But if you're building a site from scratch, I literally go through every single step. It's like, here's how to sign up for this. Here's to sign up for this. Here's what you need to buy. Here's what you don't need to buy. And that course is still totally free on authormedia.com. And going from Blogspot to WordPress is very easy. I, I believe there's even a plugin that kind of helps you do it. If you do have a blog that is extensive and you want an index, when I... Um, went over to WordPress. By that time, I had lots and lots of blog posts. I don't even know. And I had an index. I did need outside help, someone that could make an index page. And every time I post, it automatically, you know, it automatically, did you hear that word I just made up? It automatically (laughs) goes to my index in alphabetical order, which seems like such a, a simple, easy thing, but it was it was hard for me to finagle. And even the folks at Storm Hill were like, oh, we need, we need another five minutes on this one. <laughs> so if you do find yourself in a situation like that, you know, reach out, reach out to an expert. They do not have to completely build it. They can just help you troubleshoot. They can get you started. So don't get sticker shock. And yeah, it does cost money. You, It is something you can take off of taxes. But in my case, it was absolutely something that did need to happen because I was opening my brand to Writer's Digest and teaching classes with them. So it, it was something necessary that absolutely had to come. And actually, part of my contract with teaching is I had to have a link on my landing page, on my main page that sent people to my class. And with Blogspot, that just wouldn't have been possible. Yeah, it's part of the transition of becoming a professional rather than a hobbyist is presenting yourself in a professional way. And really, the primary way you do that in the 2020s is with your website, right? Especially while there's a pandemic raging, it's like the only way you do it, right? It's no longer what you wear at the conferences uh, because the conferences aren't happening. They'll happen again eventually. But right now, you know, take that wardrobe budget, put it into your website because that's how readers are judging you. That's how uh, industry professionals are judging you. That's how other authors are judging you. And there's a uh, mindset that was really fostered about 10 years ago that you shouldn't pay for things. Things on the internet should be free. And what people didn't realize is that when you are not the customer, you're the product that's being sold. And I'm really trying to push this, get away from expecting things to be free because what you're giving up is your privacy. It's, it's your time. It, it's your brand. It's control. And when you're not the customer, you don't have a say, right? You can't go to Facebook and be like, hey, I want you to make a change. <laughs> you can't even do that to Amazon, right? And and you at least have a business relationship with them. And so it's important to be okay with spending some money. And for some people, that means getting a job. 
right? Like you have to make some money and there are ways of making money in the author world before your book comes out, right? Maybe it's editing for other authors. Maybe it's doing virtual assistant work, right? That's a really great way to make some money and, and learn things at the same time. You work with another author who's a little farther along in their journey. They're paying you to do tasks for them and you're learning how to do those tasks better when you have to do them for yourself. Absolutely. I right Before the podcast, we were joking and talking about martial arts stuff. And, and then I said in the Book of Five Rings, the very last chapter, the Book of Five Rings, it's about an apprentice to uh, learning the sword. And he goes through all these mechanical things and build up, build up, build up. And you get to the last lesson and it's forget everything you know. In other words, well, there's a lot of ways to read that. But one of them is say what you don't know. It is absolutely to step up and say, I don't know jack squat about technology. I don't know anything about social media. I don't know any of that. So start there. It's absolutely okay to do that. And speaking for paying for something, we all assign greater value to things we pay for. And for that reason, writers, charge for your writing. Yes, there will be people in your life that'll say, hey, can you just write this for me? And, and you have to you have to pick and choose that. You know, um, I know different school outlets around here that, that know I'm a writer. I say, hey, hey, can you write for my newsletter? Can you do this? Can you do that? And at some point, you do have to decide to charge because you're just seen. I mean, do you do you agree on that? You're just seen differently when you charge for your writing. I think that that's a transition every author has to go through. I think at first you need to do it for free to get the practice because the carpenter doesn't just build the house. The house builds the carpenter. This is really true with public speaking, but it's true with writing too. At first, you just need practice and you need practice writing for an audience, right? Just writing for your critique group, well, that's helpful. Eventually you have to be, you know, ready to actually perform before a crowd and you may not be ready to charge for it yet. In fact, most people I don't think are at their very beginning, but as you get more established, as you get better at your writing, that transition of, I don't do it for free anymore. And I've been working on this for a long time. I've, I've got this many book sales. And really what determines it is how in demand you are. I remember talking with a photographer who had a really good way of thinking about it. He's like, I always spend a lot of money on marketing and advertising. And I let the demand for my photography dictate my price. So when I get really busy, I don't slack off on the marketing. I raise my prices again. <laughs> and he was a top photographer and he made a lot of money. <laughs> he made a lot of money. Um, and he did it because he was very aggressive in his marketing. He was very good at his craft. And and he was able to say, nope, sorry, I'm, I'm really expensive. You know, if you want a headshot from me, it's going to be hundreds and hundreds of dollars. And somebody's like, yeah, I can go to JCPenney and get it for 30 bucks. And you're like, yeah, you can. Correct. You can. You're right. <laughs> you can. And, and if that's what you want to do, go for it. But if you want to, you know, a headshot for me, it's going to be $500. And people were willing to spend that because he was able to command that kind of price because he was that good and because he was that well known. And notoriety is a big element of that. And so as an author, once you have more people asking you to do guest posts than you have time to do, or you're like, gosh, I've got this deadline for this book I'm under contract with, or I have all these readers who are expecting book seven in my indie series. And if I write this guest post, it's going to mean, you know, putting off my writing for that book. That's when you start to charge. You start to put up those paywalls as a, as a barrier. So I, I think I do think you have to earn it. You know, just charging isn't the magic bullet to getting good. Correct. You're right. You're right. I should I should have thought thought it out a little bit better. I think the thing is, you value what you pay for. 
And so, you know, sometimes you do pay for a website and you have you have to look at it and say, okay, what's my return on this going to be? And for me, the return was, you know, 100% valid. I'm very thankful for it. I think something else you need to put on your site is some way for your visitors, readers to get to know you personally. You cannot, you know, readers want to read your book. Yes. But they also kind of want to know you a little bit. And I I don't know, you know, I can't speak for every reader, but I have found, I have found personally that the more people know me, the more books I sell. That's just been my experience. And when you create your website well, you can allow people to get to know you who want to get to know you and the people who just want to buy your book and get away can do that too. And you have a lot of flexibility in how they navigate uh, the website, which again comes from the fact that you have control. <laughs> you know, you can incorporate those elements where you want to incorporate them. But I do want to talk a little bit about the results. So we talked about how your traffic is way, way up, 300% up, which is actually, I heard about this from you winning the Can Award for author websites, which I got a press release. Every time they do the, uh, the Can Awards, they send me a press release of the winners and I look through them to see if anybody's got something interesting. I was like, oh wait, I recognize that name. Uh, but I'm curious about the results kind of down the line. Have you seen an impact on book sales, on your newsletter, on your courses? Oh my gosh. My book sales, yes. Absolutely. And, um, you know, it's a niche book, teaching writers how to write fight scenes. First of all, you're reaching out to a small audience of writers. Okay. Second of all, it's a writer who has some type of action or violence. It's not just fight scenes, which people, that's a misunderstanding, is not just about fight scenes, also about injuries and all that. But the fact is, it's a very, it's a niche within a niche. And so again, like my website, I thought, ooh, I've sold five books. Look out, world. It's going to happen. <laughs> but I've been, I've been kind of shocked, to be quite honest. And I do think that is directly a product to some degree from the site because it is so easy to go straight to my book. And as far as the stats on the site itself, you know, they've been up and down. Uh, once I made the full transition, okay, when you transition over for from something like Blogspot to, you know, like what I have, it, it is going to take a little time. It'll take a little bit of lag time because you're going to have to redirect some folks. And I still, I still have people that go to the Blogspot address because I see referrals through Google Analytics, how many people are coming from Blogspot. And it'll take a little time. And the people at Storm Hill Media, uh, they're like, just, it will come. We've built it. It will come. And wow. I mean, it was out of nowhere that, you know, I was getting... And I don't mean views. I don't mean views. I mean actual visits. And there's a difference in the views and the visits. The visits went from 2000-ish to 69-something. Um, then COVID hit. And I will say that it's kind of gone up and down. And part of that is because of me. I do not post as often as is productive for numbers. If you want to have a blog that people come to, you got to have new content. And they have to know when that content is out. Now, there's some people that are just going to visit, but some people want to know, okay, it's Wednesday, I'm going to get a new, you know, post here. So I do believe that part of the drop in numbers has been COVID. And part of it has just been, you know, me being involved in so many different things. And part of the reason I'm involved in so many different things is because I have a really great website that lets people know what I do and lets people know how to get in touch with me. And it makes me look super legit. I mean, it does. <laughs> it makes a difference. I mean, it's what we do. You know, check somebody out, see if they're the real deal. Often the very first thing you do is you check out their website. One way that you can have 
more traffic to your website. And, and I will say, up and down, very common for a blog-based website because some blog posts are hits more than others. Like we did an episode on uh, changes in Facebook. And the episode was a very popular episode, but the blog post version of that episode went viral on Facebook, which is very ironic. <laughs> and it was a huge hit and tons of traffic came in because that particular topic just happened. That episode came out the same week Facebook banned all journalists in uh, Australia. Total serendipity did not plan the episode to happen during that event. Uh, in fact, I don't know if it had even happened yet because I don't reference Australia at all in that episode or in that blog post, but it had a lot of people kind of realizing, oh, wow, Facebook can make major changes that have big ramifications. Oh, it has made major changes. I've noticed from changes. Used to, you know, if I put a blog post just on my personal page on Facebook, it went everywhere. Now it does not. It just, I mean, am I correct in that? Yep. Yep. And that's what I break down in that episode is exactly the history of those changes and why uh, bloggers are getting less traffic. You still can get traffic, as I proved with my post, which is really funny because it's all about how Facebook is not working as well and it will soon not work even less, but it still worked for that post. Um, but that's actually an idea that you can steal because that blog post was actually a podcast episode. And I had, the, it was a, we took the transcript of the podcast, you know, interpreted by AI to make a kind of an AI version. And then we edited that transcript down into a blog post version. So it's not word for word what I said in the podcast. It's the same material, but presented as a blog post. And if you do that with your podcast, it ranks better on Google because Google prefers a blog post to a podcast transcript. And it reaches a different audience because some people are not hearing my voice right now. They're going to read the podcast version of our conversation because they're a reader, not a listener. And it spreads better. It's easier to share a blog post with your friends than it is to share a podcast with your friends. And so if you were to move away from Libsyn and move to Blueberry, you could have your podcast live inside your website and actually have every uh, podcast episode be a blog post just like how we do. And there's a real advantage to that when it comes to traffic and when it comes to engagement. There's a cost though, because it's work. <laughs> Turning that uh, transcript into a blog post is work, but it's less work than writing a blog post from scratch. Right, and do you think the reverse is true as well? Would it be redundant for me to start making podcasts out of my blog posts? Oh, not at all. We, In fact, many novel marketing episodes were from our most popular blog posts. In fact, my process right now for my solo episodes is I actually write out basically a blog post version first. And then I kind of present that blog post as a podcast, almost like a sermon. So I'm not reading it word for word, but I have really detailed notes because I'm often doing a lot of research. And I want to make sure that the links are going to the right places, especially if I'm talking about something potentially controversial or news related. So the Facebook post, I'm linking to Zuckerberg's you know announcements about his changes in his investor report and linking to other news articles that are kind of shedding additional light. And I do all of that work ahead of time. I don't do the same thing for an interview. For an interview, we lean much harder on that transcript, and we take the transcript and we turn it into the blog post. But I found that it really has made a difference, and it's reaching totally different people. There's the people who mm -hmm. listen and the people who read, and we've now effectively doubled or more. It's not exactly double. Some people, the podcast version is more popular. Sometimes the blog post is more popular. Right. And you pointed out something, too. I, I was hesitant to do any type of video because I said, you know, if people can see a video of me, 
well, then why would they ever have me in person? And you made a very good point about going to concerts. You know, once upon a time when people listen to the radio, they're like, well, if you hear it on the radio, will you go see him in concerts? I'm like, heck yeah, I'll go see him in concert. And you said the same thing. And it is because of that little bit of advice that I now have a video series with Writer's Digest. It's why I've done, you know, a little bit with IGTV and YouTube. And I think that's put more immersion in the, the name brand too. And reaching another audience, because there's the audience that listens, there's the audience that reads, and then there's the audience that watches video. Watches IG, right. Yeah, some people watch a lot of video, and some people don't watch hardly any video. My wife never watches YouTube. I watch a lot of YouTube. You know what? I listen to YouTube. You got your hybrid people, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I got the version of YouTube where I can listen to it in the background. So I, I find like podcast-like things on YouTube on the nerdiest topics. My wife thinks I have the most boring YouTube taste, but uh, I am a nerd and there's, there's, I'm just am embracing it as an identity. But um, yeah, the more that you control your website, the more you can bring those things in because you have a YouTube channel. Guess where you can embed that YouTube video? On your blog, in your website. <laughs> it becomes the hub that connects all of the different things. And it's not a surprise that you've seen your traffic go up like this because this strategy works not because you're cheating some algorithm. Right, because your SEO doesn't work yet. You get a SEO um, penalty for changing a temporary penalty, but a, a penalty from changing from one platform to another, especially if you're playing with the URLs. And, and the way that Stormhill did it with 301 redirects, and I have a whole episode on how to you know combine websites, and we talk about how to do that. Long term, it won't hurt you, but in the short term, it does uh, hurt you. But despite that, you still saw your traffic go up because this strategy is so solid for the humans. You're creating a better experience for the humans. You're creating an easier website for humans to share. And there's even more improvement to come. I can see your website becoming an even more. Oh, yeah. I'm taking notes as we talk. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so do you have any other uh, final tips or encouragement for somebody who is you know, intimidated about the idea of building a website or, or really leaning into having an author website? You know, I, the, most of what I do, I can't do. I'll just be honest. I'm one of those people that says, you know, I can't do such and such, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. If you don't think you have what it takes to do something, just keep doing it until you have what it takes. And if you're waiting on perfection, you're going to wait forever. You know, it's like when you write a book, as soon as you turn it in, you know, and the editor has made all their little details and it's published and you read it like, darn it, I should have changed this and I should have changed this. You know what? It's okay don't wait to be a master before you start fighting. That's just not how it works. You do not become a black belt on your first day. You start out as a white belt, but you're not going to become a black belt if you stand on the edge of the mat and watch people. So you need to go ahead, go out there, make mistakes. There's not a problem. There is, um, well, I think it started as a podcast and it's now, it's also a book called Tribe of Mentors. Oh my goodness, who is the name of the man that does that podcast? I cannot remember. But he interviews famous people and their tips on success. And one thing he asks every single person is, what's your best failure? And my best failure is being really bad at what I do. I, I'm, I mean, I'm really, really, <laughs> I'm a good writer, but I'm not great with social media. And so I had to go and, and just see how bad I was and embrace that and, and get some help from it. And it will turn around and it doesn't happen overnight. And even when it does happen overnight, you know, life has ups and downs, sales have ups and downs, views, 
visitors. It's all going to have ups and downs, but you can't get discouraged by that. You can't look and say, well, you know, I only sold one book last week. I guess I should quit being a writer. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. Because if you quit, then, you know, next week you may sell 25, you may sell 30. And that's just how it works. And there are some weeks that I don't have as many views. And, you know, then the next week it jumps. You may have different posts if you are a blogger. And by the way, if you're a blogger, one of the first things people are going to tell you is blogs are dead. Okay, so just so you know, my blog is dead. And it's been dead for going on six years now. Okay. Um, don't listen to them. If it is what you enjoy doing, if it gives you joy to write a blog, who cares if anybody reads it? You're getting some joy out of it. But I'm going to tell you, people are going to read it. So do not seek perfection right off. It's not going to happen. Go ahead and take the first step. Go ahead. And it is terrifying when you get that website set up and there's that publish button. You're like, oh my gosh, go ahead and do it. So what? And and you know what? You're going to have people send you emails. You misspelled such and such word. Well, no, you're not right about this. And you know what? That's actually really good because it shows you people are reading. Now, as far as, you know, if you want to put a counter, you know, that counts the number of visits to your page on the front page, that's something I just personally chose not to do. Some people enjoy doing that. You know, if you want to disable comments, that's 100% up to you. But the more, as far as comments, the more audience engagement you have, the better. So if it's one piece of advice is just do it already. I mean, honestly, worst case scenario, um, there is no worst case scenario. I mean, if it, we all want to write a book that is going to be a bestseller. We would all love to do that. But the odds of that are really, look, people. I am 5'2". I am the size of a strapping sixth grade boy. Do you know I wanted to be a professional basketball player? I kid you not. When I was in middle school, I was going to be, I think they had just started women's basketball in the Olympics, and that's what I was going to do. So what? It doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt to want something and it not come to fruition because it leads to other things. So if you enjoy doing something, go ahead and do it. Don't wait to be the best at it because you never start out the best. And... uh, Ask people for help. If I have one piece of advice, it's two pieces of advice. Number one, just do it. Number two, ask people for help. An ego will get you nowhere immediately on the spot. Ask people. Do not ever hesitate if you are at a writer's conferences. And I will say some writer's conferences make this easier than others. There are some writer's conferences who have their keynote speaker and they have their faculties like in the Holy of Holies and you never can reach them. You just can't. There are some conferences where these people are among you all the time. Um, Go up and ask them questions. I remember I was sitting next to a guy. It was before a Writer's Digest conference. And I will say Writer's Digest conferences, they do get the really super huge big name speakers. And you don't really get to interact with them as much. I can't believe I'm going to forget this guy's name, but he and I were talking and it was kind of empty because one of the keynotes was speaking and, and I said, I made a joke about Kevin Bacon and he goes, well, yeah, I talked to Kevin Bacon. I went, whoa, 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 whoa. How many degrees are you from Kevin Bacon? He goes, what? One. And then he mentioned something about talking to Vince Gilligan, who is the, the writer of Breaking Bad, one of my favorite shows of all time. He's an amazing writer. And I finally stopped. And I said, what are you? Who are you? And he told me, I mean, he had written for Hill Street Blues. He had done all these amazing things. And I immediately started asking him questions. And you know what? He answered them. So reach out, 
ask people questions. I tell people all the time, if you have a question about a fight scene, ask me, please. If you have a question for Thomas Umstead, reach out to him on social media and ask him. It may be the subject of his next podcast because we don't know what you want to know until you ask us. One of the criticisms I had on my book, embrace your criticism, by the way. Absolutely. My website would not have turned around if I hadn't embraced Thomas's criticism. And that SEO, I'm telling you, as soon as we get off this podcast, I'm going to be messing with my SEO. But one of the criticisms I got from my book is, well, how do untrained people fight? And I thought, wow, that's a really good question. I assumed if you told people the right way to fight that they would understand what was wrong. And the girl said, well, I kind of get that. But, you know, my character's untrained. So how is she going to react? And I said, I really needed to know that. So thank you. And so you know what? That's what I'm going to be working for on the podcast. If there's a book, too, that's definitely going to be in it. So you just have to go into it willing. You know, I, I have always, whenever I teach about making characters, you know, fighting characters, one of the first things I ask the class is, okay, in groups of two, three, whatever, I want you to create the most dangerous character you possibly can, but you can only give them one characteristic. You'll have some that'll say they're strong. You'll have some that'll say they're fast. And I do this when I teach self-defense too. And I was like, if you could have one characteristic, what would it be? Nobody ever says this, but it's the facts. The most dangerous person is the one who's willing because it does not matter how well-trained you are. It doesn't matter how great a shot you are if you're not willing to pick up the gun, if you're not willing to fight. And it doesn't matter how incredible an author you are if you aren't willing to show your work. And it's sometimes it's going to go awry, okay? You're going to have some people be very critical of your site. They're going to be critical of you. But guess what? They're critical because they were there and they saw it and they read it. Well said. There's only one way to learn how to ride a bicycle, and it means getting on the bicycle and moving forward. There's only so much you can do before you get on the bicycle. And then as you're on the bicycle, listen to advice. I love that. Fightright.net. I think we've mentioned that website like a million times in that episode, uh, in this episode. But it is, as we've talked about, the place to find Carla, everything that she has going on. I highly encourage you to check that out. And her book, if you write fiction and you want to have Better Fight Scenes, Fight Right is the go-to resource if you want to know about swords, guns, or fists, and much more, and don't want to look like somebody who doesn't know what they're talking about, because there are savvy readers, especially when it comes to guns, (laughs) that will expect a high degree of detail. Our sponsor today is that free course we mentioned earlier, The Seven Secrets of Amazing Author Websites. If you're wanting help building a website, or if you're wanting help taking your website to the next level, uh, this is a course that I put together based off of my experience working with authors. I used to run an agency that built websites for authors. And I set that aside to do this podcast. And so instead of charging people to build them websites, I give them the knowledge to build their own website. While the knowledge is free, the working and the money to build the website is not free, but it's very much well worth the investment. And you can find more information about that course at authormedia.com. You've been listening to Thomas Sumstead Jr. and Carla Hoke on the Novel Marketing Podcast. This episode's audio was edited by William Umstead. The blog post version is by Shauna Letellier. And to find other episodes and the notes and blog post versions of those episodes, you can find them all at authormedia.com. Thank you for listening and live long and prosper.